0: Let's say you improve at, you know, reducing your stress. Does it mean that you also improve at, you know, reducing your anxiety?
1: You know, in general, the more, like, we could even be talking about the more sleep we get or the better we eat or the more we have satisfying, you know, connections with people. Licensed psychologist and author, Tamar Chansky.
0: Chansky's work focuses on overcoming anxiety.
1: She's a licensed psychologist and the founder of the Children's and Adult Center for OCD and Anxiety in Pennsylvania. She's the author of numerous books on the treatment of anxiety, including the popular Freeing Yourself from Anxiety series.
0: Is there like a best way or like, you know, some of the best ways to reduce uh, anxiety.
1: You know, it's wonderful to just know that you can be that observer too. And that's really the idea of thinking in twos.
0: Can you talk a little bit about just maybe the history of stress anxiety? Why do people feel stress anxiety? You know, is it biological? Like, you know, talk to me about that.
1: Wow, I love that question starting by by zooming out because it's yeah it's important to to understand the why of this um and also just to appreciate that this is a very stressful and difficult time for you know for humans as as you said so you know this is actually too Fong the way that i will explain anxiety and stress to you know little kids or adults just talking about how we were built for a time when you know what is the saying either we went out to get lunch or we would be lunch kind of thing you know so our survival was um, really a moment-to-moment venture different from today for for most of us um and so we have, a nervous system prepared to mobilize us into you know fight or flight or into freeze and shut down if that is what is going to help us to survive. And it's it's not nuanced. These are kind of the the rudimentary systems we have are, you know, just any sign that we're of a threat, that's what you know we shift into. Automatically, which is wonderful for our survival if there were, you know, uh, threats that we, if we were threatened by something that, you know, we really would have to run for our lives or fight for our lives. Um, but when it's more the stresses of uncertainty, you know, uh, financial stress, relationship stress, school stress, uh, worrying about the climate. <laughs> Crisis, you know, things like that, where there's not an immediate threat where it's adaptive to go into fight or flight. Something's happening. You know, there's information that is concerning that we might need to do something about, but not like that. And so, sorry for the long (laughs) answer, but where that leaves all of us is in a place where we're getting kind of bombarded from within with a lot of feelings of like, I don't feel right or something's wrong or I got to get out of here. Just that, that stress feeling, feeling uncomfortable. So, and thoughts like that too. And so that happens in the course of, you know sitting in our offices or desks or whatever it may be. And um, there's not, a, like I said, a kind of an immediate threat that we would need to get out. So the other very difficult thing about anxiety and stress is that when we have those sensations, we feel like something's wrong with us. You know, why am I feeling this way if I'm sitting talking to a nice person? (laughs) You know, why am I feeling this way if I'm sitting in class, you know, sitting at at my job, even watching TV? Why am I feeling this way? When we have that feeling that something's wrong with us, it spirals, you know, we escalate into more fear And that's how we can be, you know, just in a protracted state of feeling stressed and anxious all the time. So, I do like to teach people about the fight or flight system so that when we get those sensations of, you know, we feel out of breath or, you know, thoughts start racing and it's hard to hold on to one or we feel fidgety, um, our hearts, you know, beating fast, that we can say, right you know, that's, that's a fight or flight. Do you know, do I need that now? Or do I not? It's not like something's wrong with me. It's just at the wrong time, essentially. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, so, you know, long answer to say, and especially, you know, as we have all just been, you know, through these last few years of the first phase of the pandemic, if you will, of having, you know, a lot of isolation and just kind of change in our, our mobility and our routines that, you know, that has made that whole process of a lot of anxiety uh, certainly, uh, you know, escalated greatly and we weren't kind of talking to people. <laughs> that might discharge some of that. We weren't going out and doing things that that might, you know, discharge some of that. And mm-hmm. if I can just add one more point to this uh, answer, you know, if we went through a difficult time and, you know, maybe we would have a recovery time from that, let's say we, you know, someone had a, car accident or something like that, a, a real specific uh, stressor, that you know we might kind of think to ourselves, you know, yeah, that was really upsetting. I need some time to kind of get back on my feet. And it would be helpful to have a different expectation that you know, maybe I'm going to be more tired or I'm going to, you know, um, not be as productive or something because I'm in this recovery time. We've all been through these difficult years, and there's been no recovery time. and it's, it's really kind of the opposite that I think as things started to improve somewhat, you know, or change anyway with a pandemic, that the expectation is sort of catch up and, you know, uh, get back to what we need to be doing. and that that, I think, has had a, uh, you know, again, a detrimental effect on people's mental health when you don't feel like you can just rush and do things and you know act normal and be at full capacity what's the question we say what's wrong with me that i can't do that whereas if we were saying to everybody hey <laughs> human beings don't reset quickly <laughs> we're amazing and we get through you know we get through so much but one thing that we don't do really know there's a cost we don't reset quickly and it's going to be very helpful to to kind of adjust expectations to allow the the you know the healing and the restoring to get that bandwidth back to get that energy back Mm -hmm. so i have a lot of feelings about this
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so what i'm understanding you know back then our ancient ancestors had more immediate threats and stressors, such as a saber tooth tiger chasing after them. And that stress is there. Um, Now the stress has kind of evolved in modern day where it's more of like external things happening, but we internalize it amongst ourselves, but we still feel the same stress um, that our ancestors might have felt, right? Our body processes kind of like the same way.
1: Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. And if we don't know that, you know, that's just how we work, we get, you know, that's people think have panic attacks. What's that, you know, what's that feeling? Why is my heart beating like that? What's wrong with me is something, you know, it, it can kind of spiral from there unless we know why it's happening, you know, and that that it's happening is something that we can impact. You know, by naming, I think there's a, you know, kind of a saying. I don't know who first said this, but, you know, you've got a name to tame. If you can name what's going on, like that's my, right? That's my stress reaction. That's my anxiety reaction. Just being able to, you know, put a stamp on it to say what it is, that's going to help us to downregulate a bit because we're not in that like alarm mode of wondering what's wrong.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So you mentioned stress, you mentioned anxiety. I feel like a lot of people lump it up together. What, uh, what's the difference between stress and anxiety?
1: Yeah, you know, with stress is more a feeling in the moment, I'm going to say that when, you know, something's going on and we feel like Uh, we have to respond quickly to something, you know, uh, you, you're driving to work, and there's, um, you know, the road is closed, there's road work or something, and you can't take your normal exit, and you are going to be late for some, you know, something important, immediately, you feel stress, (laughs) probably, unless if you don't, Tell me how you don't, I would like to learn. Um, you know, you'll start to get that signal from within the heart racing and things like that. And so that that is the stress reaction in that moment. Thinking ahead of, you know, what's gonna happen? My boss is gonna be so mad. You know, this is the second time I've been late this month. They're probably gonna fire me. I what am I gonna, you know, it was so hard to get this job. So when it starts to do the what ifs sort of ahead, thinking of, you know, uh, the future, that sort of thing, the the web of consequences and how, uh, you know, they're gonna be problems, uh, that's more the anxiety piece, you know, thinking ahead like that. And the thing, you know, with anxiety when it's, uh, maladaptive let's say some of that is what what we can handle but you know a lot of people wake up with nothing's happened yet but the mind has a mind of its own and starts to invent these things you know what if yeah what if i am late for work what if people are not happy with what i did what if you know my friend is mad that i didn't text them back yesterday you know just sort of getting those those uh Uh, scenarios going that, again, if we could say, wait, (laughs) that's my anxiety. Is any of this what I really, like, you know, really need to tend to now? Do I think that that's something that is, you know, really going to be a problem? You know, let me sort of fact check each one to see if I need to, or do I just looking at that say, no, I'm just stressed about the morning it's a big day. Let me make my coffee or, you know, do some meditation. That's what I'm going to do instead.
0: Hmm. So one is in the moment, one is more thinking about the future. So if you, let's say you improve at, you know, reducing your stress, does it mean that you also improve at, you know, reducing your anxiety or are they like exclusive, you know, and, and they're two different things?
1: That's a really good question. I I think that, you know, in general, the more, like we could even be talking about the more sleep we get or the better we eat or the more we have satisfying, you know, connections with people, all of that would be a buffer for our stress and for our anxiety, you know? So that I think anything that you do to down-regulate your nervous system, Give it what it needs, you know, give your body what it needs, you're more likely to have that bandwidth to have a choice. Maybe we're always going to have an anxious or stressed response first, like, oh no. (laughs) But as we give ourselves more of what we need, as we learn kind of how anxiety and stress work on us and see that we have choices we might more quickly go to the second hypothesis or something or explanation to say like, okay, it's nothing I, you know, I'm gonna text my boss. There's nothing I can do about this traffic. It's okay. So really, you know, I say to people just to, to give a, a, a takeaway, you know, think and choose. Your first response is going to be probably that, You know, stress response or that anxious response, thinking ahead, think in twos. What's, you know, what's sort of the more realistic way that you want to look at the situation and, you know, make a prediction about what's going to happen or just kind of come back to the moment and take care of what you, you know, what you can. So, I mean, I think in general, though, just to say uh, all these things happen so quickly for us. That's kind of one of the amazing things about human beings. It's just, you know, you don't have to work at making yourself anxious. It happens, (laughs) you know, these thoughts, you you have one, you have 50, that's just kind of how it works. Um, But what is so powerful is, again, as you sort of name what's happening, we we can pivot. We have to practice that, it's not a, A natural instinct. You know, a lot of people feel bad for being anxious. Say, like, again, the what's wrong with me question. And, you know, no, that's just the tendency. We have big brains. We want to understand. We want to predict. We don't like not knowing. So just, you know, know that that's what's going to happen first, but then cultivate this second response to, you know, step back and make a decision, you know, sort of what's if I take away all the like exclamation points of this, it's like, this is a traffic jam, 10 exclamation points, or this is a traffic jam, period. You know, one is going to feel a lot better than the other.
0: Mm, I see. So it kind of reminds me of a book I've read um, called The Power of Now. If you ever heard of it by Eckhart Tolle.
1: Somewhere on my shelf, right over there, I have it. Yes. Oh, nice.
0: Awesome. So is there like a best way or like, you know, some of the best ways to reduce uh, anxiety because one of the things that Eckhart Tolle talks about, I I remember from the book is, you know, you are more like an observer, you know, of your thoughts and you're not your thoughts. And so Mm -hmm. you kind of take a step back and you're kind of like sitting on a bench and just like people you're watching your thoughts go back and forth and taking that um, bird's eye view approach, it might be easier. Um, but I know that's kind of like one approach, you know, it's more like mindfulness. Um, are there any other approaches that might be beneficial? Or is mindfulness kind of like, you know, the best one?
1: You know, it's wonderful to just know that you can be that observer too. And that's really, you know, the the idea of thinking in twos is to notice first that anxious thought and then to have, you know, another way of thinking about it, which might be just to say that is just a thought that's going through my mind now. That's, you know, it's not reality or I I have choices about what to do. You know, I drawing on other traditions, I think it's a a Buddhist tradition uh, idea of the, the handshake uh, intervention, if you will, which is when you have a thought to just say hello to it. (laughs) Hmm. Hello, you know, Mm -hmm. have a seat. There's a seat over there. I'm kind of busy right now, but, you know, have a seat over there. Maybe I'll get back to you, but it's the same kind of thing. You know, I, I work with, obviously with people for whom anxiety is, you know, really debilitating, getting, you know, really getting in their way. And so, the, the brain gets used to doing things. It can get used to doing something new. So all these ideas that we're talking about today, you know, the first few times you use them, they may feel like,, uh, you know, what what's happening? Is this really helping? But the more you practice them, it becomes a more automatic uh, response. But you know, for, for folks who are just having so many intrusive thoughts, you know, at once, I will say I suggest some kind of campy ideas, like singing the thoughts or putting them in Google Translate and having them, you know, in a different language, because again, the thoughts came from our, you know, anxiety reaction, but they cause more anxiety. You know, it's sort of like brainwashing in a sense. And so to interrupt that cycle, hearing levity or difference helps to break up that that pattern. And so, you know, hearing the, the the worry in a different, you know, in a different voice, so to speak. And yeah, with kids, I'll say say it in a, you know, with a, an accent from a cartoon character or something like that. And it starts to do what. Eckhart Tolle, <laughs> you know, talking about to just allow you to not have that limbic, you know, emotional reaction to the thought, but just to hear it as words. But sometimes it helps to, you know, to have kind of a a different way of getting there that is, that draws on levity or something like, or difference, something like that.
0: Mm. <laughs> um, that's awesome. That's, that's funny. Um, while you're talking about that, one thought actually came up <laughs> is uh, what if you put into like a, a AI tool, you know, of Morgan Freeman's voice, you know, and it like if makes you so and calm, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, that, is, not bad. <laughs> that is awesome. I bet that's yeah, I am very new to all of that technology but I'm absolutely going to check that out.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, no, it's true because just, mm-hmm. you know, we are emot- you know, it's kind of like I will say to kids if they're watching, you know, like a Disney movie or something, if they ter- if they mute it, it just your take away the the music convinces us of something bad happening. You know, it's just a message and that's really what we're trying to do. And so, you know, we might think, well, if I'm having this thought, why would I do something like to try to change it? It must be important that I'm thinking that. And that that's where really understanding that, you know anxiety is information that we or you know those thoughts are ideas that generally are not uh, accurate about what's going to happen. They, what do they sound like? It's like, what if fill in worst case scenario, you know, happens something like that, which is not usually what what does happen. And so, just knowing that we have permission to do things like that, not not listen to the thoughts or you know shake their hand and kind of direct them to the to the aisle change the sound of them, that that's all, you know, a, a very being a very responsible human being. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. when our anxiety is quiet, that's when we can really think about what we need, what we want mm-hmm. to do. And so it's not, you know, it's not that that's where our wisdom comes from. That is more of a knee-jerk reaction you know, trying to protect us, but it's not really what the facts are of the situation. And so whether you're, you know, five years old and you're gonna talk about your worry brain telling you these things or you're, you know, an adult and you want to, you know, think of the, the voice, you know, some other voice saying that uh, to, to help you get distance or just observing, all of that is really essential uh, you know, equipment in a sense to manage just what goes through our minds.
0: Mm. You know, one thing that I've really noticed in myself is with stress and anxiety, I could get caught up in this loop. Like you, you talked about where you're not even aware that you're feeling stressed, you're like in this constant loop and anxiety and having the self-awareness to recognize when I'm feeling stressed or anxious helps me then deal with it. Especially, um, I recently got this band, and it monitors uh, my HRV. And it gives me a chart throughout the day of the times when I'm feeling very stressed, like a high stress zone. Um, above a certain point. And then I could map out, okay, well, what happened during that time that I felt stressed, right? And so it's like, if I'm aware of it, if I understand it, then I can work to reduce it. But I just think about how many people aren't aware, you know, that they're feeling stressed, how many people are not aware that they're feeling anxious, they're just in this constant loop, you know? Yes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And having you know, having a, an external way of, of letting you know that that's, that will probably help you to tune in more to your physical signs of that. And then you might not even need the external monitor as much in a sense, because it's, you know, it's like, oh, right. I did kind of, I I've been holding my breath, (laughs) you know, we haven't really even taught, you know, we've been sort of Uh, talking more cognitively about being an observer of of thoughts and what what to do uh, with, you know, thoughts that we have, but certainly learning how to uh, do just micro nervous system resets when we notice, you know, that we were just feeling stressed, or maybe we, we feel some physical signs of that, to just have your way what whatever it may be to have a slow inhale and especially a nice slow exhale and watch your shoulders drop <laughs> i i sit in session with people and uh you know i'll say oh I, yeah, I that was a good one i saw your shoulders drop because think about it when we're you know, just kind of taught we're not, you know, we're breathing enough, but we're sort of breathing shallowly. But when we exhale, the shoulders drop. That every exhale lets the nervous system know that we're in a safe zone. We just wouldn't do a long exhale with a saber-toothed tiger, you know, on our tail. We wouldn't do it. Yeah. And so, you know, for for yeah. adults, we can think about, you know. Just uh, taking a flute, a few slow breaths, and and you know a luxurious exhale. For parents, I always say, you know, if your child feels comfortable with a hug, you know, or you could do this with a friend or a partner, you know, hug and hug until you feel the exhale and the shoulders drop. That's just you know that you've kind of now you're set in a different wavelength within, you know, your body.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it so, feels
1: good. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So I heard a few things there, you know, about signs of stress, you know, having tense shoulders, you know, maybe not breathing. Are there any other signs of stress that people can identify?
1: Yeah, people will talk about you know certainly the racing part you know that they'll they'll feel their heart pounding or their you know hands their palms sweaty um, stomach distress headaches just muscle tension and you know again people may think like what why why do I feel like this all I did was go to work today. You know, it just, the, the mismatch of what is going on on the inside with what's going on on the outside, you know, we wouldn't think like, right. My body was acting as if I was, I was, you know, in a race for my life or something. I had to get that report done. And I just, my body was tense all day. And so you, you know, you can come home and then Feel like right you know you're just as if you had run a you know a sprint or a marathon or something like that so again it's really little things can can be so helpful that it would be wonderful if we all had time and i wish we did <laughs> but i don't and i don't know about you feng but you know to have an hour or whatever to just to to really uh, take a yoga class. I don't really have that, but I do have five or ten minutes in the morning and at night to stretch. And sometimes in the middle of the day, I just you know I just do something to stretch for a second and feel that exhale. Any any little reset you're gonna find by the end of the day is just a little bit better. Then those little resets start to feel good, and then you want to do them regularly. So you just, you get up and you just, you're in your body, you, you stretch, you know, you look out the window or something or if you don't have a window, you, you know, you go outside for a minute. They're just these little patterns that we get so much more from. There's just, we get so much more than the time investment that they take. And so just being aware to you know aware of that idea and working that in just here and there in your day it really you just feel so much better we weren't meant to just sit and and work we were meant to move and that's you know something sometimes we have to really schedule in or you know kind of keep our mind on that it doesn't you know, it would be easy to, to lose time, lose track of time and not, not move for a lot of the day.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's one thing I've noticed. Um, you know, first of all, I, I do exercise uh, Monday through Friday. I like to weight lift, but, um, you know, I, I had lower back pain, uh, I had satica last year and I figured it was because I was sitting too much. Mm-hmm. And so not only that, not, only did I experience physical pain, but, you know, uh, I was more anxious, you know, more stress, less energy. And so I decided not to sit anymore while working. And so I got a standing desk, uh, like a treadmill desk. And I noticed that my stress was reduced, a lot less, uh, less anxiety, more energy, no more lower back pain. And so, you know, that's one thing I think about is like, how can we incorporate things into our life? You know, like a walking desk, where not only are you still able to work, but you can also get some exercise in and move at the same time. You know, it's like a not two birds with one stone.
1: Absolutely, that's wonderful. Effective overlap. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and even you know, if if we, you know, we don't have that or we don't have a job where we can do that, you know, just even but just knowing that it's a good idea to get up and move. That's great.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A lot of these things, that's the thing about, you know, the a lot of these ideas are free.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> you know, but we yeah. just, it's not the the culture to to do those things. So like you said, just kind of cultivating those habits, you know, that's a that's a, a really great thing that we can do. And just think small.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because then it, it sells itself. Because it feels good, then we want to do it more. So if we can just, you know, just start somewhere, that's going to be helpful.
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely. So um, let's kind of transi- uh, transition to children. Um, we talked a lot about just macro, um, but let's kind of dive into more um, how we can reduce stress, anxiety amongst children. But how would you describe the modern? Uh, State of the child right now, because in my perspective, you know, I feel like they're struggling, you know, especially with COVID being locked up for two years and not being able to really interact. I think interaction is could be really helpful, you know, to reduce stress and anxiety. But unfortunately, a lot of kids were locked in their homes, and that was, you know, all they really were able to do is maybe go to their phone, you know, um, and interact that way. But I don't think it's really the same thing. So, from your perspective, what is the state of modern children? Mm,
1: Such a big question, Fong, Mm. and heavy. (laughs) But but also, so I'll say some heavy things about it, but you know, whenever I see kids, I'm trying to think where I was, uh, you know, this just yesterday, anytime I see children, you just feel good. (laughs) You know, children out and about, they, You know, they're just, they're doing goofy things. They're noticing things. They're, you know, they're a lot of times happy just out there. So I think for me too, I have to remember like that, that is in kids. So I want this picture to be very hopeful because it is, but at the same time, the way that we're going to help kids the most is recognizing what you're saying is just how how stressful things have been, how, you know, how different things have been for, for children. And, and frankly, you know, just missing out on years of development. Our development, you know, is still happening, but it's slower (laughs) with kids it you know, it's, it's uh, happens faster. And so really, you know, kids did miss that interaction, the, the sort of social skills, you know, learning that, that comes from that, the, the connection, the substitution of technology, you know, whether it's games for little kids or social media for, you know, for teenagers. And so I think again, that um, and the Surgeon General was just talking about the declining mental health of children being the crisis of this time. And so that's you know that hits hard, but I think again, if we can look at uh, some uh, kind of overview ideas and some very practical in the moment ideas that that we can be of great help to change that declining trend. And so I, the overview, I think just realizing how much pressure kids are under with having missed school. Um, and it's not it's not a neutral thing. It's not like, well, okay, now you're back in school. So it's like, okay, it's all it's good now. It's, no, all the depletion, you know, just the just, again, we as we talked about earlier in the conversation, there's not been that that recovery, really. It's just sort of like, pop back into, you know, what was. And so I think, you know, having the the flexibility of expectations for students, just really thinking about the power of seeing the, each child and connecting with them where they are, that that's how they're going to, you know, that's like watering the seeds. That's how they will, you know, continue their, healing process and their you know their their growth process is not by you know just uh, and this is this is no you know teachers have my and parents have my absolute highest uh regard they've been the the heroes for kids during these difficult years but when we see things like you know math and reading scores dropping you know uh, dramatically, you know, over these years, the temptation might be like, more content, <laughs> you know, just, we just got to get more information, you know, to these kids. But really, it's about connecting so that the child is, has what they need. they they have more bandwidth to learn, they are regulating their nervous system. So, you know, eventually things catch up, but the the uh, priority is not the math skills as much as the emotional regulation that will eventually lead to those math skills, if that makes sense. Um, so that's that's the big overview as I just hope that, you know, folks can trust that it's really the much better investment to look at what children need emotionally. Now that that's going to be the better investment addressing that, you know, throughout the day, giving those opportunities for them to feel connected and seen and connect with their friends, um, then it is just sort of having more content accelerating to get back on track. Um, And the micro, you know, really dovetails with that is creating community in schools, you know, really creating community in classrooms, helping kids to really feel like they belong, that they do belong, that they contribute, that they are, you know, it's important that they're there. And um, that that feeling of connection is the antidote to all we have been talking about (laughs) up till now, right?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: When we, you know, when we've feel a connection anxiety you know stress lowers anxiety lowers we're not thinking about those other things as much we're sort of feeling like we you know we have that home base within and so you know just the the resources for that again if we can just allow the time all these things are free you know um, having you know kids check in with a teacher having kids check in with each other um you know recognizing that so many kids lost loved ones during the pandemic or you know uh, went through you know big financial changes or housing changes whatever it may be and so you know they're they're starting at a place where uh, you know fortifying that that home based feeling within is with saying good morning, which is what, you know, this is what, this is why, you know, teachers did all of this. It's just how we, we got through, (laughs) but don't stop now that the same, those same person to person resources that are free, that really don't even take that long. That's still, it's going to feel good for us as adults to do that. And kids are just going to, get that settled feeling within, then they'll be more ready to learn. But it's probably has to happen refreshed throughout the day as much as possible. So I feel very hopeful because I know we all have those resources, but, and the more that we kind of uh, recognize that, and it's a two-way street. We, we give our regulation to someone to help them regulate we feel more regulated, we feel more connected. It's, you know, it's just this wonderful community, global (laughs) human, you know, project of humanity that we can all do.
0: Mm -hmm. So how could parents be more involved in this process? You know, of being able to help their kids reduce um, stress and anxiety. I, I could imagine that by them doing it themselves, and it would help reduce their stress levels and yeah. not pass it on to their kids, right? Because if you're stressed as a parent, kids could probably be able to sense that. So besides being able to model that, what else, how else can parents be involved in helping their child reduce stress anxiety?
1: Yeah, sure. So certainly and you know, modeling it and modeling it messy. we're not, you know, it's, it's actually kids get very interested (laughs) when their parents say something like, you know what, I need to take a second, or I don't like how I said that, or I think mom needs to go, you know, sit for a minute and, and cool down. It's like, what? But that's, that's real life. So that's kind of modeling it messy that, you know, maybe we start, we're like, I can't believe that you left the Okay, I'm gonna do a reset. I'm gonna do a do-over. Mm-hmm. It's, fascinating. it's just like, wow, what just happened? An adult, you know, wasn't right <laughs> immediately, you know? But it but it's very powerful because then kids can do that too. So I just mm-hmm. want to add that about the modeling, but certainly, you know, for, for parents, knowing the power that uh, I think of it as Taking a slightly longer route through their child's emotions ends up being a shortcut. You know, that I'll explain when kids are upset, we want to fix it. We want to say, like, no, it's not a big deal, you know, or like, I'll help, you know, I'll take care of it, something like that. Um, And Meanwhile, you know, kids are still feeling what they're feeling. They might not even know what they're feeling. And so coming in with empathy, you know, to say, you know, you're really upset and I want to help you. I want to, you know, I want to, I want to talk to you. I want to, I want to help you. We're going to figure this out. Just doing that one Mm -hmm. step. Even if you do end up being part of the solution, parents are often part of the solution and that, that makes sense. But -hmm. there's a little bit of a pause there where you can connect with your child and they will feel that, you know, protection and connection. And, uh, you know, that you're saying that this is something that that you can work on together. That's very valuable because you're instilling a sense of collaboration, but also, you know, confidence within your child, confidence that they can do something about how they're feeling. And also that their feelings are visible to you, and valid to you. You know that that is really important. Um, so yeah, you know, whether it's something happened at school with a you know another kid, or you know the teacher got mad, or they didn't do well on a test if you can think about rather than the, you know, going in with a problem solving about that thing, just connect with your child first. They may have ideas once they know that, you know, you're kind of creating this calm space together, you might ask questions instead of, you know, giving solutions and that's just part of a collaborative process that you say, you know, what was, I, that sounds really hard was the hardest part about that for you? I wanna, you know, I wanna help you. And I think I also, you know, empathy with sharing appropriately, the kind of normalizing that you might feel that way too, or you might have felt that way. Um, so that kids don't, you know, have that feeling of there's something wrong with them or no one else feels the way that they do in a very, you know, loving, supportive way. So I would say, you know, if you can take the time to empathize rather than kind of solve the problem that actually you're you'll feel better, your child will calm, you know, be able to use your calm to feel calmer. And the whole getting to the problem solving will probably happen faster uh, because you have two regulated people working on it.
0: Mm. yeah, I think that's very powerful. I love that, because I feel like, as parents, and even people, you know, we just like to solve things and solve things quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes we don't want people to feel that pain, we just want it to, you know, let's, t- we think that we're doing a them a surface by just fixing it quickly. So that way, the pain can go away quicker. But there is a lot of value in being able to, you know, take it slow and steady, and, and being able to empathize, Collaborate with them, empower them, you know, to solve their their problems, but knowing that you're there to support them, you know, and that takes time. That takes patience, but it seems to you know build a stronger bond um, than just fixing it quickly
1: exactly, exactly. And you know, then your child learns through too, through those collaborations, you know how how things work feelings are waves they come and go or they have options you know a lot of times kids will say well I'm gonna you know I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna you know tell the teacher that I'm just really mad at them and you know you might feel inside like don't do that mm-hmm. what you might cultivate a response instead is to say well that is that is one option and we can, you know, put that over here and let's think about a few others, you know, cause that is problem solving, mm. right? It's if we get locked in very quickly to, you know, to an idea of how to fix something, parents, you know, ad- adults, kids, and if it's just going to really behoove us, if I can use that word to think of an, a number of options before we you know, jump into one. And that's that's just again, you know, how we slow the process down. But we can be supportive of what our kids are saying, unless it's going to hurt somebody. Obviously, then we've got to, you know, draw lines. But uh, be supportive of that problem solving. To say, oh, well, I, you know, I like to think about a few different things to try and how they would go before I decide what to do. You know, what what's another way we might You know, respond to that.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I noticed that you um, also wrote a book on helping children overcome negative thinking, negative thoughts. So, what inspired you to write the book?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I had been working with kids with anxiety, wrote a few books about kids with anxiety, you know, parenting kids with anxiety. And I was hearing kids who had a slightly different uh tune if you will mm. that you know the kids with anxiety it was more you know what if or oh no like what's all the the kind of catastrophizing and spiraling into that kind of more uncertainty thinking and i was hearing you know a different tune which was kids sometimes the same kids but you know other other kids as well who were more convinced that things weren't going to work. Mm. It was sort of airtight that, you know, no one likes me. It's not like, what if no one likes me? (laughs) Mm. No one likes me, you know, I never, things never work out for me, you know, um, it's, it's not gonna work and there's no point. Things like that, you know, just that depressive kind of thinking where, what happens often, you know, talking about parents not wanting to have their children be in pain, the typical response is to, you know, kind of correct that to say, you know, people like you, no, it's gonna Mm. work, you know, and I, I can be that parent sometimes, even though this is what I work on, you know, all day. And I have to kind of remember like sit with the pain and look at the thought process, you know, um, to then I wanted parents with those uh, that uh, kids with that kind of thinking style to have other options to respond uh, with more, again, uh, cultivating flexibility, labeling what's going on, you know, helping kids to think of other possibilities, learning about patterns, you know, that that happen in our thinking. And so, you know whether that's, uh, you know I have some illustrations in in my books, and you know one of them I think in in the negative thinking book is what I call the sum shaker. It's like a salt shaker. I said I was campy. It's like a salt shaker, but it's a sum shaker because with all or none thinking, you know that's the antidote is to think of the exceptions to that. So kind of emotionally, we feel like nothing worked today. You know, today was terrible, nothing worked. Like, okay, yeah, I get that. I can feel that way some days, you know, too. What was the time that you felt that the most? That kind of thing. And then, you know, were there some things that that were maybe okay or something, you know? So then you start to create you know, maybe some people were nice, even though that one person who was not nice. I get it. That can really, you know, affect how you feel in a day. But let's, you know, let's use a sum shaker and and is there, you know, more information there to to uh, you know learn about the day? So these kinds of you know, there's another drawing of the the not yet machine um, where kids feel like. If they don't know how to do, you know, math, you know, something new in math or something like that, they're never going to be able to get it. And helping them to uh, get that idea of, you know, things are hard at first, and you just haven't learned how to do it yet. But we all can have that. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to ever get it, but. What what about that not yet machine? What would you want to kind of put in there, right? Do you think, you know, in a couple of days you'll know how to do this? Do you think it's more next week? Or maybe this one is just, is a hard thing in math that's gonna be difficult to get, but other things you can get. Again, it's, it's with empathy, connecting with how bad it feels when the mind just sort of shuts down options and says, nothing's good. But rather than correcting it, kind of looking, kind of looking at the information together to see what else is there, so that you can draw different conclusions.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think that's really. I love those ideas, the sum shaker, and also the, um, the not,
1: not yet, yet method.
0: <laughs> so, how much value, you know, I hear a lot from uh, mindset gurus. You know, they talk a lot about the power of positive thinking, you know, taking something that could seem negative and spinning it to something positive, like, no, this stress is good for me because, you know, it teaches me how to persevere, you know, and then you let it go and then take on another negative thought you confront it, you spin it to something positive and then you let it go. So is there any value in that, you know, and is there any like science behind uh, doing that method and some of the other things that my uh, mindset coaches talk about?
1: You know, my immediate reaction to that (laughs) is that um, maybe if our baseline stress level were not so high, something like that could be possible. But I don't think that's most people most Mm. of the time. So it ends up you know, the whole toxic positivity thing. It's like, it ends up feeling like a disconnect more than, you know, something inspirational Mm -hmm. to think that way, because, you know, whatever people are going through is very real to them. And it's not something that you can just kind of flip like that. And so, again, it's, I feel so optimistic about People and what we can do for ourselves and for each other. But the the approach that I would take, I, you know, I do kind of use this uh, mantra that, you know, the opposite of negative thinking isn't positive thinking, it's just possible thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have a kid who's just so unhappy about how things went, you don't need them to be happy.
0: <laughs> you mm-hmm. need,
1: I mean, that would be great, and that happens sometimes, and that will happen for them sometimes. But what you need is for them to not feel stuck and convinced about, you know, what their negative thoughts are telling them. Mm. So I, I do, you know, I don't want to be a killjoy. <laughs> <laughs> but I do get concerned that, you know, that ends up not, it ends up kind of alienating people. Making people who are already feeling pretty bad about what's going on with them and themselves feel, you know, even more dysfunctional, but it's it's not accurate. It's really that the, the expectation was not a helpful one for them or most people. So I guess, yeah, <laughs> I, I take it a different way. But you know, that's uh, maybe in the nuance of, of those approaches, There's overlap in in how we think about things, but I just immediately think, you know, so many, you know, it's understandable, for instance, Mm -hmm. for parents will say, you know, I just, I just wish he would say something positive. I can't take it. (laughs) You know, and then I, that's, I think, right. This is really. It is a, I call it a table for two, you know, it's a two way street, it's a table for two. You want your child to be more flexible, resilient, optimistic. You also have to do that too, to say what's happening is this moment right now. And I do believe, keep working on this, you know, my child will learn how to not get stuck in their negative thoughts, but it's just this moment right now, that's not what's happening.
0: Awesome. Wow, I can't believe it's already been an hour. I could talk to you forever, Tamar. This has been so valuable. Um, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Uh, where can people find you?
1: Yeah, such such a pleasure talking with you. And let's do it again. Yeah,
0: let's do <laughs> Part it. Two.
1: Yeah, I feel like we both have more more ideas that that we would definitely want to to put out. But yeah, so folks can find me on my website, Tamarchansky.com. And there's there's so many. I've been blogging for a lot of years, and uh, you know most things that I write about are are evergreen. And so you know, parenting ideas, managing anxiety, negative thinking, procrastination, things like that, you can find searching the uh, blog posts on my website and also um, on Instagram. Uh, tomar Chansky, at Tamar Chansky PhD.
0: Awesome. Sounds good. So um, yeah, thank you everybody for listening and I will see you in the next episode. Bye. Thanks.